Fulhamish is back for the season by Labrooks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your weekly medication prescribed for any suffering Fulham FC fan. My name is Sammy James and it's going to be a tough podcast today as we reflect on Fulham's 5-1 defeat to Arsenal on Sunday at the Cottage as once again those floodgates opened in the second half. Joining me tonight, I've got three of Fulhamish's finest to work out what went wrong. Starting off with two gents who could probably do a job in defence for Fulham right now, Ben Jarman and Farrell Monk. Good evening. Hola amigos. Uh, and whilst a dynamic Traquatista is probably not Fulham's biggest concern right now, you'd probably chuck him in anyway, Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. How are you all doing? Yeah, all right, not too bad. It was a Better bit... Today. Yeah, it was a tough day out yesterday. Even though it's Arsenal, it still never makes it easy when you lose 5-1 in your own backyard. No, it's hard, isn't it? It's difficult to process. Right, let's see what the three-word reviews are saying. Jack, what's coming in through? I'm going back to Twitter because we've got 175 responses. 175? Yeah. That's good. Good numbers, everyone. Every yeah. time we lose, every time yeah. we lose, people, the first thing they want to do is leave us a three-word review. If we win 5-0 against Burton Albion, no, no one, one cares. cares. Yeah, we playoff, three. playoff final, we actually didn't get that many. I know that people maybe were a bit too preoccupied afterwards, but just, just something about defeats that people just love. They've, they've instantly got three words in their heads, and normally one of them is at least a swear word. It's just a British thing, isn't it? We just love black humour after something happens. David Kettlehead came through with four, and they're all really good, so I'm going to use them all. Under the gun, calling Stuart Gray, second half shambolic, and slaughter in SW6. Which I thought was a really hard one. Jack and Loz came through with that. Glad that's over. Tom Greatrex with wake up call. White Noise said everyone should defend, which is probably a valid point. Jerry Pims, keep the faith. But my personal favourite, Michael Cox's terminate Kamara's contract. <laughs> oh, wow. That's brutal. He also came through on the player ratings and said shocked he got over 0.0. Oh, uh, Kamara. I'm, I'm kind of with him. I thought it was one of the worst substitutions I've ever seen. Cyrus, I'm very, very surprised that Cyrus Christie managed to get 2.9, in all honesty. Yeah, that's a good Cyrus score. Christie did a lot of bad things, a lot of bad things, and I'm sure we'll come on to it properly. He had a really bad game, but he was our only out- outlet at all for mm. the entire game. Mm. Everything came down in him. It became very easy to telegraph. I don't, that's not excusing his kind of horrific attempts at getting backwards, especially in the first half, yep. but... You know, there's a lot of work to do there on the right wing when you're the only person that anyone seems to pass to. Well, uh, I'll, I'll let you loose on uh, on all aspects of yesterday's game in just a second. Just to say that this season, Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks and for exclusive specials and promotions, you can head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. So we'll dissect Arsenal. We'll do some questions uh, in a little bit. Lots of those coming through as well. And just a bit of a eight-game-in review as well, just to see where we're at. It's not terribly pretty at the moment and looking forward to a few of the games uh, coming up which which are looking more and more important really um, than I ever thought they would be at this stage but first of all let's look at Arsenal and and Farrell even though it's Arsenal and you don't expect too much from these games against the top six whether you're a home or away it doesn't make it any easier does it losing 5-1 no, absolutely not. I think I think what fans are probably more disgusted with uh, from yesterday is kind of the manner of the defeat. But I've got to say 5-1 is probably a worse scoreline than probably the performance suggests. We are obviously so open at the back and, you know, we, we've conceded so many goals so far this season. 
but it, it's it's not as it's not as bad as I as as um as it actually makes out to be, which kind of is a little bit ridiculous thing to say after a five one. But if you actually look at the whole the game as a whole, for we were in that game for a lot for a large proportion of that of 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 it. It wasn't only until that there was the the you know another Slavisa strange substitution um, with about half an hour to go that kind of really turned the balance really into Arsenal's favour because before that it, we were looking reasonably comfortable there was a Kamara, a Kamara header at 2-1 which probably you know should have landed on Mitrovic's head and would have been you know to all at the stage and there was a large portion of that game where Arsenal were on the back foot you know if you actually just look at the stats and um, you know the Arsenal only had nine shots on goal and scored five of them. Fulham yeah. had 19 shots on goal. Against Arsenal team who have won now nine games in a row in all competitions. That's a pretty good yeah. thing to go with there. Um, Thomas Brown says, Ben, the formation I hope to see all season was finally implemented and in my opinion, very effective. Uh, we started with three at the back. We weren't exactly sure what Fulham were going to go with when we saw the lineup. We weren't sure if it was going to remain four at the back with Lamarche on. Uh, covering at fullback, or if it was going to go to three. We probably, it was a general consensus that it was probably going to be four, but ended up being three at the back. Uh, what did you make of it? Well, my initial impressions uh, of Fulham's performance in the first half was really, really good. I thought we held our own for long periods of time. Um, my immediate worry going into half time after Scherler scored was that Arsenal would put more pressure on us through the midfield, which eventually they did, and it meant that Seri and Angisa became outnumbered quite quickly. I did like the fact that both of the wing-backs gave us uh, a natural outlet. Um, I do, however, think that what should have happened is one of Vieto or Schaller should have been dropped and then um, another midfielder could have come in there just to fill the gap and to give us more legs because although the ball retention was good, it was notably in areas of the pitch that were wide and in areas of the pitch that were either very, very deep or also quite high. There was nothing really connecting both all, all three sections of the pitch, which is something that Fulham really, really lack when they don't have someone in there like Tom Kearney, who I thought, had he been fit yesterday and had we gone with a three-man midfield, could have been that linker uh, to Mitrovic, who in, at times was quite isolated. However, I do think we quelled the threat of Arsenal for quite a long time. Um, it wasn't until there was some absolute brilliance from Lacazette that they really undone us. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until they really started to target that right flank that we looked in any sort of danger. I think the other thing that's kind of crucial to inject there is that because Scherler and Vieto aren't natural wide players, having the wing backs really suits them because they can both drift in field. And you're completely right about Tom Kenny. If he sits in there, it becomes, I think, a 5-3-2. And, mm -hmm. and then you end up with either Scherler or Vieto off Mitrovic, which will give him, you know, one, something to bounce off. Uh, and two, it will, you know, sort that who is playing at the top of the, the midfield and who is, you know, not, basically, because Scherler and Vieto both seem to be doing the same job at, at certain points yesterday. But on the whole, it seems weird to say this after a 5-1 defeat. I thought the defence were much better until it all, you know, until this change of system. Yeah. The three at the back was, you know, comfortable. Yeah, Lacazette scored a great goal. He shouldn't be allowed to swivel in the box of the first, in my opinion. It's a great finish. I don't want to take away from that. But... You know, you shouldn't be giving him the space to be able to swivel like that. And the same for the Aubameyang chance late on. We can't be letting people swivel in the yeah. box. That's not yeah, OK. Yeah, com I completely agree with you on, on both fronts there. But my, my main problem with Tim Ream's performance, although I thought he was solid for the most part, is that he's getting way too tight to all of the strikers. Um, Lacazette especially, who was just turning in with ease. If you know you're being roasted by a striker, and Frau, you can weigh in on this as well because you're a centre-half like I am, you give yourself half a yard. You let them believe that you're there and to turn into you. 
don't keep going touch tight at all points. I must say though, Arsenal are cut above anything we've played this season by by far. Mm. They're they're Man City. I thought they were better than Man City. I, I think thought, because I Man City thought, didn't need to be brilliant, they weren't. Brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Their their Arsenal fluidity in movement was fantastic. Their connection between the midfield and and the def- and uh, the strike force was something that I haven't seen from them since they played with Santi Cazorla. And they've missed that type of player. And I think they've got it in Torreira, who's yeah. absolutely mm. going to be world-class. They He's sang for Torreira such a good yeah. all game. Yeah. And rightly so. He looks like the missing link in that mm-hmm. system. And obviously, this isn't an Arsenal podcast. So I don't know too much, but he was brilliant. Fantastic. The they they played a, um, a 4-2-2-2, in effect, didn't they? They didn't have that much width. Similar to how Watford played, I felt. And it meant that they managed to find pockets in between the lines. And... Even in the first half, you could quite clearly see, though, that they were exploiting the gap between Cyrus Christie uh, and Dennis Adoy. You pretty much took the words right out of our mouth. It's the fact that they were they were exploiting gaps in our in our in our defensive midfield that we just weren't doing to them a little bit. Mm. There were there were times that um, there was one particular moment in in the first half where Granite Xhaka um, tried to sort of win the ball um, uh, high up the pitch and left a huge gap in between their defence and midfield. And we just didn't exploit it. It went out to Sessegnon and Sessegnon looked up and I don't want to criticise his performance, but Sessegnon had an easy ball in Seri who had filled that gap and there was so much space around him, but we were just a bit too dithery on the ball and they were able to 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 counteract that. And that is something that Arsenal were doing to us. Every time that we, as player, was slightly out of position, they hurt us. Yeah, I think it was a particularly strange decision from either Slavisa or whether it was Christie himself, to almost sort of man-mark Nacho Monreal for large periods of the first half. Yeah. And it just just consistently brung him out of position all the time. And it forced Anguissa out of the midfield to try and cover him and to try and cover uh, Iwobi as well, who I thought was had, had a, a pretty good game. Is full-back and wing-back that wildly different? Like, yeah. if you're a competent yes. right-back yes. and you've played it all your career, surely you'd have half an idea. Well, I think, I think not only does I... It, Personally, I think it suits Sessegnon and Christie better, their, their sort of style of play. Um, but I think it just fits... yesterday. Well, it I think... Sessegnon more. Ses- absolutely. And I think that's probably Sessegnon's, at wing-back, the, the best performance he's had this season. Yeah. He really, really stifled Bellerin, who is, in my opinion, one of the best um, right-backs in the league. And every time the ball went out to, to Bellerin on, on, that, on that flank, Sessegnon was there. And the amount of times... There was at least three times before he was moved back to left-back... Um, that Sessegnon was able to win the ball ahead of Bellerin and mm. really drive us up the pitch yeah. and create opportunities and or create half chances. I think it led to the Scherler chance, um, which um, he blazed over, unfortunately. And I think not only does it favour that, but it also really favours Adoy and Le Marchand as well because they are players who are centre-halves but also have played, on, um, played a full-back position. We know that they're probably not good enough for the Premier League but I think it does suit our sort of system and our defence a bit better and that's probably why it did look a bit more stable before we moved to a 4-4-2 or whatever 4-2-3-1 I'm afraid there's something to be said I think here for the fact that because we play a system which utilises the idea of attacking wing-backs. Last season, it was fine to do that because the two centre-halves were competent championship players and therefore able to stifle most of the things that were coming through the middle when both full-backs bombed on, which is what happened for the majority of the season. This season, if you leave two players exposed at the back and the wing-back and the full-backs, I suppose, bomb on, we've been exposed time and time again on the counter, you know, through that, through our own mistakes, naivety, whatever you want to call it, but we've been mugged off there. You know, look at the Palace second goal, you look at any of the last three Arsenal goals really I think to put it in terms where it's it's plainly obvious in the difference in class you're going from having a midfield of like 
Lee Gregory and George Savile for Millwall to playing people like Xhaka and Torreira. It's, yeah. it's a cut above. Then, then you're also playing people like Fernandinho, you're playing like Gundogan. You can't afford to do that. You can't afford to give these people space and to hit. You can't give them space to run into. It's just absolute suicide. Can we go on to Slavisa's tactics a little bit? I don't know if that's a question that's been, been thrown up, but I think there's an interesting comparison to be made with Emery because... You know, as you said, they started in that sort of four-two-two-two, which they've kind of played mm-hmm. most of this season uh, with Welbeck alongside Lacazette. I thought they transitioned from that quite quickly as soon as they realised how much space Christie was leaving behind him. It went to almost a four-two-one-three with Mkhitaryan drifting into the middle, and then the front three of a Welbeck and a Wobi and Lacazette sort of interchanging positions, and it gave Alex Awobi so much space. He, he absolutely we ran like right. A world beater. Yeah. And, but that's the thing, because, you know, what Emery obviously saw that there was space behind Christie, you know, and exploited that by switching his formation very quickly to have someone on either wing in order that Fulham could be stretched because he knew that those two two wing backs were going to be pulled out of position by a, by a forward three. And in comparison to Slavisa's tactical switch, that looks like a masterstroke and, and Slavisa ends up looking like, you know, he didn't have a clue what he was doing. Not saying that's the case, I'm just saying that that... That switch to a four-two-three-one absolutely killed us. Well, I mean, in the first forty-five minutes, though, I did think that Fulham were mightily impressive, and it's easy to forget that it, for large chunks of that first half, we were impressive because, in the end, we lost five-one, and it's so easy to look at that last twenty minutes where it all went so pear-shaped. But I mean, I was hearing on Five Live, Conor McNamara, Steve Claridge were saying they couldn't tell which team was in the top five, which team was in the bottom five for most of that first 45 minutes. And I've got to say that I kind of agree with that. The goal from Lacazette that he scored, I thought was one of Arsenal's few chances, really. Although Awobi was getting into the box and Lamarchon did well a couple of times to clear from dangerous situations, we also had our own chances. So I think some reality check has to be taken here. And we've got to realise that for 45 minutes... We were very, very competent against a very, very good team. Yes, it fell apart and the headline score is very ugly. But if you focus on the negatives too much, then I think you're doing some of the performance a disservice. Yes, it all fell apart in the in the last 10 minutes. but And we were still trying to get back, to the, back into the game. We we're still trying to be brave and, and try and think, you know, this, you know, it's not over till it's over. And Alex Ferguson said it quite, quite best when he said the fans will, will, go, won't, will go home and forget the five ones and the four ones. They'll always remember the ones you actually get it back to three three all and get a last minute equaliser. So personally, I think I'm really not that fussed that we were still trying to go for it and not trying to go well. Let's just try and keep it to a not embarrassing scoreline in the end. You know, there's still points to, you know, we we got the same amount of points we would have at five one than we would have at three two, for example. Until we go down on goal difference. Well. <laughs> My main aggravation with this performance was that it was 45 minutes of, as you say, Sammy, keeping a very good team at bay and trying to impose ourselves on the front foot as much as possible, which is what Slavisa does. But that second 45 minutes was just complete tactical suicide. I don't know why we made the, well, Slavisa made the changes that he does, and I think he showed in part why there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of talk about his incompetency in game management. And I can completely see why. It was absolutely crying out for an extra pair of legs in midfield and anyone could see that the way as Jack rightly pointed out that they were getting players in and around Lacazette and they were having runners from midfield they introduced Aaron Ramsey like they were trying to go through the middle of the pitch they were stifling the middle of the pitch against us and against our passing and you'll notice that there's a tweet on Fulhamish 
from me that says, "Could we please stop passing it into middle where all the Arsenal players yeah. are?" They stifled us. They okay. So it's two. We're two one down. Lacazette's just scored. You're Slavisa. What change, if any, at that point do you make? You don't need to make a change. It's kind of change, yeah. we reacted really badly to the fact that Lacazette scored a really good goal. Yeah. Yes, we you know put we should have maybe kept possession a little bit better from the throw in and but ultimately he's come across that twenty five yards out and absolutely hit Belgian's corner. There will be question marks over Bettinelli. I, I don't know if they're justified. I'm just pointing out that there will be. And he seemed annoyed with himself, which is usually a, yeah, you know, a, a kind of sign that maybe the keeper's like, oh, I probably should have done slightly better with that, especially because he got to it. But it's a great strike and yeah. it's caught him off guard and, and that's a sign of a good striker in form, right? So, But we're in the game. We're playing well. There's no need to switch yeah. it up at that point unless Tim Ream has got an injury. And even if he has, you bring Mawson on. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. You keep I, it the same. For me... You asked my opinion, Sam, so I'll give it. I think he's made a complete hash of this substitution. Like Jack says, you keep it there for five minutes, just right out of storm. But anyone who's anyone could have told you that we were getting overrun in midfield completely. From my from my opinion and what I would before do Before or after Lacazette's goal? Before or after before, the substitution? Even before Lacazette's goal, we were getting overrun in midfield. And then afterwards, even more so, if, I, if it was me, I would have taken off Vieto put an extra pair of legs on in midfield, try to close that gap between the front two or three and then try to impose ourselves a little bit more on the ball. We didn't do it. We become isolated. We become long. Mm. There was way too many gaps between the lines and it's just so easy for Arsenal to pass through the transitions after it and they've done it brilliantly. Steph wasn't very good but he would have been the player I would have brought on. Yeah. Yeah, you guys say it so brilliantly that we're getting overrun in midfield and what we did in that substitution was made made it wider we bought on a winger and it just made it even worse that was the, that was the weirdest thing about it as well we changed our system that didn't counteract what arsenal were doing we kind of decided to change our style which didn't was near enough ineffective I, it's just very very strange that slav is, he's decided to sacrifice one of the things that we needed most in, a, in a, an additional midfielder to basically account for a winger who didn't have much influence on the game mm. whatsoever and if anything, I'd say a negative influence. Yeah, a negative influence on the game. It just, it just yeah. was a decision that didn't need to be made at that time. And if it did, it's the wrong one in my yeah. opinion. Without- Roy, Roy Hodgson always, I mean, one of his his kind of um, thing that he always used to do was he didn't really make a lot of substitutions because he, he was like, well, "We're playing well. Why, why, why change it?" Yeah, hundred percent. The the thing about Kamara is that. I do think there are games where Kamara is going to be useful. I, I don't think he's a good player, and I stand by that, and I've stood by that since the, the day he joined Fulham. I think he's got better than what he was, but I don't think he's a very good player, and I didn't necessarily think he was championship standard, never mind Premier League standard. But there are games where he's going to be useful. You know, that kind of bustly style where he sort of just runs around a lot, and when the game is open and broken up, he's going to be useful in those situations. Not against a technically superior Arsenal team who were shutting us down. We didn't need pace and power. We needed to get the ball down and start to play football again. And Kamara was never going to be the answer No, for exactly. And, you know, the, the, the we were struggling to get players in and around Mitrovic. There was times it was going into him and his touch was letting him down, unfortunately. But there was no one else, to, there was no one else around him to pick it up. And what made it worse was to play wider and therefore there was even less players for him to play around. Yeah. And I, I think that your people are quite right in saying that if there was going to be change to be made, it probably was Vieto because he was getting less and less, uh, making less and less of an influence in the game from then on. And we probably need an extra extra sort of midfielder as opposed to a, another winger, really. And without that extra defender, 
our lack of pace in defence versus the overwhelming pace of Arsenal was just so brutally exposed. Whereas in the first half, even though Arsenal were making good breaks and playing quite well, there just always seemed to be one too many Fulham players in the way whenever they attacked. And then as soon as you removed that defender, there was just suddenly the space. And then a player like Aubameyang, which is incredible strength to bring off the bench. Yeah, by of the, course. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you bring Ramsey and you bring Aubameyang off the bench. That's incredible you know, strength and depth. By the way, that third goal. Unreal. Unreal. I didn't yeah, even know what to write on the tweets. Uh, it, was so good. it is good. But all it needs to do, all you want there is Steffi Hansen to clip his heels yeah. in midfield. Yeah, I you know, know there's which, no. Which Steffi Hansen normally doesn't need a second invitation to do. You're, there's no, no sort of game management from players there. Everyone's just a little bit too nice. And I know yeah, that I think we're that's football. A asset or a facet of our play is that we are too nice. We're very nice. We're, we love you to watch I, I, and all I, those things. Yeah. But there's no, there's no real snap in the middle. We got if rid I, of that last year, though. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to criticize Seri too much, but he doesn't bite enough in midfield for me. Like he's so, so he's so wonderfully gifted, technically. Um, wonderful player um, and he brings a lot to this team I don't feel like he bites enough and Guisa got in the way quite a lot he covered a lot of ground I felt I don't but know that if any of you saw the tweet about Anguisa from your man Colin McNamara from Five Live. I thought it was very harsh I, I understand it was harsh but I can understand where, I can understand where he's coming I, from I'm afraid I didn't see it so yeah, there was, he called him a Sunday League player who was the early kickoff came too early for Oh, wow. I can see where okay. he's coming from. I completely can. But watching it from from my perspective, he's a man that you want to break the lines, and you're a guy that you want to drive on with the ball and use it well. He dilly dallied on the ball, had a bad first touch. He didn't do anything with the ball when he had it, the chance to, and he just lost us possession so many times. Yeah. The only thing about that is that, yes, he did lose the ball, and I said this on a tweet I put on yesterday that he wasn't very good. But when he lost the ball, he sort of bustled around after it. Mm. Sometimes he got it back. Sometimes he made a foul. But all of, but he bustled around after it. When K-Mac came on, the game just passed him by. It stopped. That was that was well, it. And the game just was... I know the game was a bit more gone by that no, point. No, what I was going to say is that it's happened too many times this season. Oh, I think you're completely right. For, yeah. for K-Mac to even push for a starting role. Final few points on Arsenal. Farrell, are you shocked the way that Fulham did just seem to fall apart? 3-1 down... The heads really seem to drop. I know we were playing a nightmare formation and we didn't have the right personnel on the pitch, but there was just a little bit of a lack of bottles. Cess, for me, in the build-up to the fourth goal, really, really bottles it. And I don't want to give Cess too much of a hard time because I thought he was our best player yesterday and it's just one small mistake. There was plenty of other errors that ended up with a Bamiyang sticking it in the net. It seems to me that this team isn't very good at going behind I don't think they're very used to it I think for two seasons we've barely found ourselves behind I know we've had sticky start sticky patches at the beginning of each season but there's been so many games where I don't think we're a comeback team that basically sums it up we we've hardly gone behind I can't I was trying to sort of rattle my brain to to any other capitulation that's happened in the last two seasons but Birmingham uh, yeah, perhaps Birmingham these are kind of like one-offs and I can't really think of one where we've gone on to concede like you know, we were losing already and then we ended up conceding like two or three in the last 10 minutes. But there have been occasions where we have conceded two or three in the last 10 minutes. Mm. Like I'm thinking of the, the the Wolves game. I'm thinking of the Sheffield United game, uh, that 5-4. Um, there's been, uh, there have been games where, you know, we have gone, we were quite comfortable, for example, and then all of a sudden the goal, 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 goal. And, you know, sometimes it's worked in our favour, but in the last two seasons, it's worked in a lot in our favours uh, in the end. But, you know, now we're playing against Premier League teams who just 
won't let that happen. You know, they're just going to carry on. Because I don't goals. think I really don't think that's a five-one game. I don't think that's a game where we were totally dominated for ninety minutes. I mean, if you look at the stats, and there'll be a stat show out later this week where I'm sure they'll touch more on kind of stuff like this. But we had twenty-one shots to Arsenal's nine. So clearly, Arsenal were were super clinical on Sunday. I mean, to score five goals from nine shots is quite remarkable. And for Fulham to have 21 in a game that you lost by four goals seems like an anomaly. If you look at the expected goals, and I know there's expected goals from uh, many different sources, but Arsenal was only 0.2 or 0.3, I think, Arsenal uh, ahead. So uh, Fulham was like 1.3 and Arsenal was like 1.5. For the fact that they won 5-1 when the expected goals is so close, either says something about the fucking stats or... It says that this wasn't a 5-1 game. I'm not having you out here having a go at stats, mate. No, you're right. wrong, pal. You're wrong. <laughs> All right? Well, though, the- Know your audience, mate. Know your audience. I don't lie. <laughs> well, then you're telling me that it's not a 5-1 game. It wasn't then. a That's 5-1 game. It wasn't a 5-1 game, but it no. was because we let in five goals. Yeah. And there was, there was some horrendous defending, some incredibly clinical finishing from two of the most expensive strikers in the world. And there were a couple of goals where the goalkeeper and the defender could have done much better. It's as simple as that. I think we got torn apart by a team that are a class above. Yeah, and I think... I think what Arsenal are like, they're like a a shark. If you smell blood, which they did, they will keep going until they they get their fill. And and they did that. They really did. Right, well, I think we've done Arsenal. And uh, it was a little bit of a uh, kind of get up our chest scenario. But... We've done it. We're over yeah, it's it. It's over. Um, I imagine some more stuff will be brought up in the questions. Uh, but let's take a little break and maybe look at where Fulham stand in the season as a whole. Fulhamish has teamed up with One Football, the only football app that you need this season. Uh, you can get it on both the App Store and on Google Play. Using personalised news feeds, push notifications and a user-friendly interface, OneFootball makes it easy to keep up to date with the latest transfer news, scores and stats in one central place. Check out the OneFootball app and let us know what you think of it. Hi, I'm Collins John, and when I'm not rewatching my goal against Middlesbrough, I'm listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Ben Jarman. Hello. Farrell Monk. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hola. So, the table doesn't make the prettiest reading, but actually, considering we've only got five points from eight games, maybe not as bad as you would imagine, because there is just three horrendously awful teams in this division at the moment. Caesars in 17th place, we're tied on points uh, with Southampton, conceded 21 goals, which is something quite extraordinary. It's even put in the season we went down a little bit of a run for its money. I'm sure at this stage we hadn't conceded 21 goals. Um, how bad could it get, Jack, if we don't get points out of the next three games? Well, it could get really bad, as in we would drop into the bottom three if we didn't get any points from the next three games. I can confirm. But, you know, it also... Cutting edge analysis yeah, there, Jack. You know, these are facts that I'm throwing at you. But no, but look, if we don't win these next three games, it's going to start to look very, very bleak. You know, I think we need seven points here. You know, that's what you're looking for from teams. We, You know, we've got to look at games like you know, the Cardiff game, the Huddersfield game, their teams are going to be around and about where we are right now in terms of this. If this is going to be a relegation dogfight, or not even a dogfight, but if we're going to be in that mix, we need to be beating these teams if we're going to stay up. And Bournemouth at home, while Bournemouth are playing well, they're not playing as well as, you know, say Watford are. You have to look at that Bournemouth game at home and think that 
you know, from their start that we can't be getting at least a point from that. They, you know, those are the games, like Don would say, you know, you have to look at those games and target them. They're the games that you have to make count because at the end of the day, you can't expect to win against Arsenal at home, but you can expect to get a point at least from Bournemouth. And, you know, no matter how well Bournemouth are playing, and they are playing well on Daddy Howe, and obviously they're, you know, right up at the top of the table. My Watford comment is slightly out because I meant in terms of where Watford are when they were when they played us. Okay. But... In in terms of the season, they're doing they're doing fantastically well, and Eddie Howe's a great manager, and and they're doing lots of you know things right at Bournemouth, but they're the games you have to target, right? They are the ones that you need to be looking at getting points from because it gets very murky very quickly if they if you don't start picking up points in those games. Well, I'm looking forward to so much now that Cardiff game. In a in a way, it's going to be one hell of a tasty game. You're a sadistic person. Those <laughs> <laughs> kind of games that we you know we go to football for. There's a lot riding on it now. You know, there are Cardiff going to be are desperate for points as well here, and um, you know it might work to our advantage because we know what they're all about. They are. Um, quite fraudulent to be in this position, i.e. in the Premier League uh, anyway. So, you know, like Fulham will be going there. I think they're going to be super pumped for it. They're, they're going to be targeting it. Slav will not let them rest in the next couple of weeks and they're going to be totally up for it. And, you know, if we think back to a similar position last year, both teams were desperate for points. Cardiff were trying to go um, get promotion. We were trying to go for the playoffs or even catch Cardiff and Wolves. And we came out on top that day, didn't we? And we totally trounced them. And I think that this Fulham team are certainly capable of doing so. Look, you, you stay in this division by beating the like, the teams around you, likes of Cardiff, likes of Huddersfield. You don't stay in this division by beating Arsenal, but then dropping points to those sort of teams. In the, in the wider context of, of our start, we've had four very tough teams in City, Spurs, Arsenal and Everton. Yeah. And we've had four other teams who are well acquainted to this league and know how to win a game. And we've had also one team that's made a, a very inspired start to this season in the shape of Watford. Put into context, it is disappointing to see us this far down the league, but you can see why we are there. Mm. We need to pick up um, points against the likes of uh, Huddersfield, the likes of Cardiff. It would have been really nice if we could have hung on to those points against Brighton, but it wasn't to be. I think we've got enough to get out of this and once we get over this slow start and we get another international break underneath our belts to really figure out who we are and perhaps work on tuning this fight at the back system I think it'll be a, a, a bigger and better next few weeks for Fulham Well, Slav's got to work out what his identity is going to be for the season He's had eight games and he's been mixing it up so much I mean, this was kind of what pre-season was, was for but we're in the situation we're in and you look at how Nuno's had such a settled lineup for for Wolves and you can't get too much comparison between Fulham and Wolves we got promoted at the same time that's about where the similarity and we spent a lot of money that's about where the similarities end but do you see this back five system working in the future because I was thinking about this last night and I thought maybe you would switch in Mawson somewhere in the in the back three but not necessarily that important if you had Timothy Fossi Mensah where Cyrus Christie was who you would assume would do a better job of bombing up and down the pitch than Christie did for me it had the makings of a team that could work and, and what you mentioned at the start with maybe you need a Kearney in there um, and then allowing either a Sherlock or a Vieto to support Mitrovic a bit more maybe we might slowly be starting to see the settled system at least that Fulham are going to be playing with this season. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I do now that I've actually seen this in practice because Ben, you were talking about the whether we should be 
well, on last week, whether we should be going with a, a four-two-three-one again, or whether we should go to wing backs. And you're a big advocate of of the wing back system, and we, you were talking about um, whether Kearney does fit into that. And now I've seen the system at play. I can totally see Kearney in this in this system as well. And um, and it suits Cess really, really well. That's that that position. And we know we say Cess isn't a left back, but he does suit that wing back well. Yeah, we'll continue to get the best out of Sessegnon because it means that ultimately he'll have to be doing less defending and slightly more attacking, which is nice. It also means he'll probably get more space to express himself. Whereas if you're further up the pitch, then you're more likely going to be basically tracked from start to finish by a fullback. It's really, really hard for, for this squad. I don't particularly feel like it lends itself particularly well to a 4-2-3-1 at this stage. Because as we spoke about last week on the podcast, it's so difficult to fit Vieto, Scherler, everyone else in to this formation and make it work. Yeah, There are points where it just doesn't seem to flow particularly well. And I feel like this formation with Kearney acting as the link, with the imagination of Seri, the, the guile of, of Kearney, the bustle of Anguissa in that middle could have a nice balance to it. And especially given the fact that the wing-backs should act as outballs and give us a chance to get up and down the pitch is quite nice. Actually, having an extra centre-back in there means we probably can play Tim Ream now because his lack of pace somewhat against bigger strikers and faster strikers will be covered up by Odoi and whoever the other third centre-back will, will turn out to be in the end. I thought Lamarchand was very, very good. I yeah, was, was about to make that point. I thought Lamarchand was excellent. On Sunday, and you know, let's start aside from, you know, the obvious things that people are going to say when we went to a back four, and there were issues with those two, you know, as the centre back pairing. But on the whole, and especially in the three, I thought Lamarchand had a good game, and yeah. that's positive going forward. I, you know, I don't think he's had a bad game at centre back. He had a bad game. No, at I Brighton. agree. He's yeah. had, he's yeah. had two when he was a left back, two but, questionable games at left back. But he, I don't think he's had a particularly bad game at centre back. He gave away the ball in the Burnley game, but we ended up winning that game quite comfortably. So aside from that, I don't know where yeah. you where you pick off Lamarchand, but yeah. And I'm, I'm willing to stand a little bit corrected on Lamarchand after yesterday. I thought it was a very impressive performance. I know I've been one of his biggest detractors, so I'm, I'm happy to eat humble pie on that one. I will open up the question bag in a second because I imagine uh, a lot of the points that I would have brought up anyway uh, will be brought up there. Um, we met yesterday um, an absolutely smashing fellow from Puerto Rico uh, Ignacio uh, myself uh, Farrell and Jack met him and at on. the and on. and on but he's just not here hence why I didn't uh, but anyway um, <laughs> at the at the old Suffolk Punch and he's a listener who's been listening over in Puerto Rico um, he'd never been to Fulham before it was his first game yesterday a bit of an unfortunate one to choose but um, he still sounded like he had the, the best day of his life imagine if we'd have won yeah, I don't know if he'd have been able to control his emotions. No, I don't think so either. Um, but yeah, had a brilliant, brilliant day and it was uh, lovely to meet him. He bought us a Puerto Rico shirt, a match-worn Puerto Rico shirt, which looked worryingly like a Crystal Palace shirt, uh, one of the Admiral ones uh, from back <laughs> in the day. Um, but a quick interesting point to bring up here after meeting uh, Ignacio um, ben, actually, you may not know this. Can you work out how much he will have paid for his ticket in the Johnny Haynes stand? Uh, he bought it off StubHub, I believe, which I didn't even know it was possible to buy things off StubHub football tickets. But It shouldn't be. Um, I'm going to go and say about 150 Not far off. £180. Per ticket? or in- per, ticket. per ticket. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, so... And then when when he um, when they got the tickets, um, it came with a very ominous letter as well. 
Saying what? So I'll read it out. So I've got a picture of it here. And it goes, Dear customer, please enter through the stand and block stated on your ticket, east or west stand, uh, and for example, block one. Do not ask any stewards or staff directions as it may prevent the use of your ticket. Once in the stadium, again, do not ask any directions. Simply go and sit in the seat stated on the ticket. And then in bold, it goes, if you are asked at any time from stewards or staff where you purchase your tickets, please say a friend gave them gave them to you. You have not purchased the tickets. Do not take this letter with you on the day. Enjoy the event. I mean, this is like this is like this is like organised crime. That's, that's the way I would I would describe I, I, it. I don't I don't think maybe it's quite that level. Um, it's, you talking it's, on the pitch? It's a con. <laughs> it's a con. It's not organised crime. I would say. Well, I mean, what what I would, you know, the fact it says, you know, please enter through the stand, it goes east or west stand, or for example, block one, makes it shout out that he's possibly got, or this person has possibly got, Multiple. season tickets what you mean the is this? You, what you mean is this is more than just one guy selling a few tickets. This is yeah, a, this this is a, a full-on like operation is, yeah. is, is what Absolutely. you're looking for. And, and worrying, because... One of my biggest bugbears in football is the fact that you get those touts Anywhere near the stadium saying tickets, anyone buying or selling tickets, blah, blah, blah. There should be so much more done to prevent that yeah. in, in football yeah. in general, in my opinion. And the fact that they will do it while standing next to policemen, I was under the impression that I thought it was illegal to do anyway. So I, But nothing happens. So this weekend I, I wanted an extra ticket for my dad. I was going to upgrade my one, but I ended up getting one off. I saw someone post it on the Fulham group and I paid 50 quid for an adult ticket and the two he said he had two junior ones that came with it so I paid face value for three tickets at 50 quid um, and I brought my two little cousins along and my dad came with me and just uh, thinking about that in comparison and that's just Fulham fan to Fulham fan you know it worked perfectly and you know shouts out to Robert for that because it was brilliant but it's just scary to think that people are being exploited like that when Fulham fans are you know, you see like someone like this, who's obviously a fan, just can't make it this weekend, and is ha- willing to sort of put that trust in another Fulham fan just mm. to post and then post back. And it's nice, and it's like what Fulham's about, and, and all of yeah. those kind of things. And they've been mugged off so hard; it makes me really upset. Yeah, well, one thing that I would say is Ignacio kind of asked us, you know, how could I avoid, avoid this in the future? I didn't really know where else to to buy the tickets, and I said, to, and he said, like maybe I should message you guys. And I'm more than happy, you know, people message the podcast for all sorts of stuff all the time. We can't necessarily promise to help but that's the kind of direction that i would go in if you're not a member you're coming over to the cottage for a complete one-off and you're looking for tickets you haven't got a membership you haven't got a season ticket you don't really know anyone over here ask in the groups either ask people on twitter that you trust you know that the obvious names you know ourselves any kind of other fulham outlet even stuff like the facebook group which which has got like 10,000 people in places like that where you're connecting with other genuine Fulham fans just ask for help and generally there's people willing to help you selling things at face value or or close to so it's worth their while if you if you see what I mean so if there is anyone just kind of I don't know what to do and because we'd like to avoid situations like Ignacio I mean he was so excited to go I reckon he would have paid a grand and still been quite happy yesterday so fortunately I think Ignacio is fine but he brought it up to us and we thought we'd address it on the podcast what was quite interesting when I was talking to him about it was how not normal but he was like well that's what I'd expect to pay for a ticket and going through a tout or like StubHub or something like that was something that he thought was normal and expected. Whereas in this, you know, in this country, there is definite culture of 
you don't sell your ticket for more than face value. And yeah. the only people that do are scumbags, effectively. Yeah, yeah. I, if, if it was one piece of advice I'd offer to Ignacio from here on out, it's never, ever buy from a faceless corporation such as StubHub or someone that you don't implicitly trust because you will get yourself in a spot of bother or, or potential danger or, or anything like that. We just don't want to happen. You ever want to do something? Ask ask someone who you know is a Fulham fan. The only reason I suspect that he said that he's used to paying that sort of money is because he might have gone and watched some American sports and like well, yeah, the NFL, he's a, for he's example. He's a big MLS and yeah. I assume was quite into the NFL as well. Yeah, if he's into NFL, you'd be looking at paying that much for a, a normal ticket yeah. for for a game, and it's it's such a shame because we could have saved them a lot of money. Yeah, and, some and we seats. get that a lot. And when we were talking about the ticket prices, the amount of American fans that actually messaged in saying, "You guys complaining about fifty quid?" <laughs> like, because it is so expensive. <laughs> they send a voice note, and that's the that's the yeah, recording, isn't uh, it? Not my best accent. Um, what? So I believe you stereotyped which region of America the people emailing us are from. They're <laughs> <laughs> all Texan because of Clint Dempsey. <laughs> right onwards. Um, <laughs> The last thing to point to raise that, and you know, if you ever sort of come across these touts or or anything like that, you you should report. It. Otherwise, it gives it gives a, you know a free license for these people to operate. We've reported it to the Fulham Supporters Trust, and they're dealing with it directly with the club at the moment. And you know, hopefully that. Um, It'll be dealt with accordingly. Right. Um, just before we move on to the questions, just to say, uh, make sure you hit up the Fulhamish YouTube. Um, brilliant fan cams yesterday from from our man, Jack Kelly. Uh, spoke Jack. to a few yeah, of the boys from uh, Arsenal Fan TV or AFTV, as they have to be known these days due to a, a legal challenge. It's not um, that. That's not the reason they changed it. They were given a cease and desist. No, they weren't. Were they? It's all, it, was all, it was all just made up. Really? Yeah, no, they, oh. just, wanted to, they just wanted to stretch their like exposure beyond Arsenal now they do loads of stuff that isn't just Arsenal focused oh, right. and so taking the name away from Arsenal fan TV allowed them to expand into new well, media they've just Are followed just... they've just followed our rebranding project when we went from Fulhamish podcast to just Fulhamish now yeah we're going to rebrand as SW6 media soon <laughs> no we're just going to be we're just going to be ish yeah ish ish, uh, ish media um, but yeah check out the fan cam uh, he caught up with uh, lots of Fulham fans after the game a couple of the boys from Arsenal fan TV and just some uh, some good old fan camage as well so uh, make sure you hit up the, the youtube for that and also there's a full time uh, which should be out right now with jack farrell and dom live from the old suffolk punch yeah jack was what's good. coming on the questions uh, there's a couple of good questions i'm gonna race through them because we've had uh, a fair amount of pod already but one of my favorite ones came from louis carr who said do you think Slav's lack of ability to make the correct substitution when your average fan can see he's making the wrong decision, for example, Kamara Farim, is a big enough cause for concern to threaten his job or an issue that will resolve itself when he figures out the best way to use the squad in the Premier League? We talk a lot about identity over these past couple of seasons and I think Slav is still trying to figure out what identity this Fulham team have to have in the hardest league in the whole world. So I don't think that the substitutions he's made up to this far is probably going to threaten his job. If he didn't get it sorted out in the next 10 to 15 games, you do really have to sit there and think maybe something could happen. But I think Shard Khan and Tony Khan and everyone in the fan base thus far has got full trust in Slav to sort this out and bring us an identity that we can be proud of and get us out of trouble and, and, and slowly but surely up the table. I think we'll be fine. What was quite pleasing after yesterday's result was there were no boos at the final whistle. There was just applause, which I quite liked. There wasn't anyone left. Well, there was, there, was, there was actually quite... No, there, there was, was. A quite, there was more so than I have seen 
in previous seasons when we were getting an absolute drubbing yeah. and quite a lot of fans stuck around to applaud the players afterwards and I you know it's it's going to be a tough long season it's it's definitely going a little bit worse than I thought it would be at this stage um, not massively but just a little bit um, but you know and I kind of I, I said at the start of the season what I didn't want to happen was it to be you know not going so well and then all of a sudden the fans start turning on the players which hasn't really happened so far which you know if there's a bit little bit of positivity to take from that there were no boos and you know I've, I've talked at great length of how much I hate the boo crew um answering uh what was your man's name sorry Louis Louis's question though whilst Slav did get it wrong and it was fairly obvious yesterday he was clearly going gung-ho and, and as Farrell alluded to better to lose 5-1 trying than just to meekly accept a 2-1 or, or a 3-1 defeat. He was obviously just going, defender for attacker, let's go all out here. It was naive that it messed up the formation. And yes, most people in the crowd could see that. But for every time that Slavs got it majorly wrong, think back to the Watford game. And he made those, I think he made two substitutions at half time. I know he brought on Floyd Aite, and I'm forgetting also who he brought on at that time. And we all said on that podcast after that, not the substitutions I'd have made, but they really, really worked. And so for every time Slav gets it massively wrong, you have to remember the times that he's got it massively right. And if he keeps on making mistakes after mistake and it, we're you know, a dozen games down the line and every game his in-game management has been horrendous, then I guess you have to ask questions. But at the moment, I'm going to take it as a one-off. I'm sure Slav will have learnt lessons and will have been kicking himself on Sunday night as he uh, had his dinner or flew back to Madrid or whatever he does on a Sunday night. Um, so... I'm going to give him benefit of the doubt on this one. Okay, and let's move on quickly. These are two questions that sort of complement each other, so I'm going to go for both. At FFC Voice says, after his performance on Sunday, can Christie be trusted again? It was a performance devoid of fitness, quality, and above all, intelligence. And followed up by Ibs321, who says, do you think slotting Chambers in at right back until Mensah is back will be safer? At this rate, both Everton and Arsenal exploited Christie as a weak link. I've I've, I've got to say, like, there's, there's... There's no one else that you you would put in there unless there's like a rogue choice, you know, putting a Bubakar Kamara right back, for example. I would honestly not turn up. <laughs> but like, there's no, you know, you've got to, they're all specialist position. These I'd fully stay in the park, but I'm not even joking. If, they, if I saw a formation that had a Bubakar Kamara right wing back, I would not go to the game. <laughs> But there's, you know, all of the Body positions on the all the positions on the pitch are all speciality positions yeah. nowadays. And you can't just put anyone there and at the moment with the injuries and, and our squad he's the best we've got and Chambers isn't the, Chambers the worst has played, he has in, 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 uh, in fairness and in credit to it's Ibs isn't it yeah. who said about Chambers at right back Ibs knows that Chambers has played right back before for Arsenal yeah. on a number of occasions and you can see you can see that he probably would do alright there for, mm. for us he has a distinct lack of pace but he knows how to defend he knows how to how the Premier League works and he knows how space in behind and in front of him works where I think Christie to his detriment doesn't quite understand that yet and Christie needs to understand that he either doesn't overcommit himself massively to the point where he can't get back or he judges himself positionally into a fact that he becomes effective on the game because yesterday he done neither he overcommitted way too many times and positionally found himself lacking nine times out of ten and we got a number of questions through onto the podcast account throughout the game saying, have you ever seen a right-back play this badly? To which it's quite hard to say. K-Vosa? No. K-Vosa is, you know, 
the right back Luka Modric are look exactly the same. <laughs> Spotted in Putney McDonald's once upon a time, I believe. Excellent yeah, guy. there we are. Right, Alan Rostad says, Slav can keep shuffling the pack, but surely he has to decide the formation first. Three at the back or four. Sunday's collapse was reminiscent of early Slav days or the end of Kit Simons' reign. Do we need to get the spirit from last season back? I don't think that it's necessarily spirit. I think it's organisation and having the identity, as I said a million times before. Yeah. I mean, Slavs, I think, has used, according to BT uh, yesterday on the highlights, they said that he's used 10 combinations already uh, so far. Um, Which is more than game now. <laughs> exactly. And it's Rubik, just, Rubik's it's, cube level of defence. It's just, it's just unreal. We need to decide on who's our best back four or five and then build on that. I think the thing that's lacking at the moment is if we do settle on the back five, which makes complete sense because it means we've got one extra guy in there, is what does the f- what does the front half of the pitch look like? Yeah. And I think that will be the next puzzle to sort out for us. I, I, I'm i changing as often as the blooming weather with uh, what my preferences are. Changing I, as often as a slab back four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I remember advocating the 4-2-3-1, but again, willing to stand corrected. I thought that it worked well uh, yesterday in the first half the the three at the back five at the back however you want to kind of gloss it up and it maybe suits our personnel I would just like to stick with a system first we're going to probably have to keep changing personnel to a point because at the moment we are suffering a little bit with injuries and that is unfortunate so but I'd like to stick with a system so for now let's stick with the system that worked quite well in the first half yesterday I'd like to see it against Cardiff it could it could could do wonders Good. Well, that's all about all we've got time for. I just want to give a shout out to Young Cottage Boy at Cottage Boy One, who said, "Why must I cry?" Which I'm up for anyone using Ray Dog references in our questions. So, shouts out you. There we go. What a uh, positive end to the podcast. Um, right. So it's an international break coming up, but that doesn't mean that Fulhamish stops here. Um, so in a few weeks we'll have a Fulhamish extra looking forward to the Cardiff game and in the meantime uh, there's going to be a stats show dropping at you um, probably towards the end of this week uh, when we get round to editing it it's going to be with Jack Ben and stats guru George Singer uh, it's going to be available on the YouTubes as well uh, so make sure whatever you're subscribed on uh, make sure you check that out it's going to be lots of more in detail stats analysis of Fulham's performances so far and moving on uh, we need to decide on a pod name for today Jack what are you thinking I did like David Kettle Hicks slaughtering SW6 but I think I think it's kind of just going to go with wake up call or hello Premier League what are you going with I quite like the slaughter in SW6 I like gun down I think yeah slaughter in SW6 is probably the most accurate and apt title for this given the downbeat mood in the room right now Okay, Slaughter in SW6 it is. Um, I imagine we'll get lots of uh, positivity on Twitter for that one. Thank you to my guests today. Slaughter in SW6 it is. Secretary Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Farrell Monk, thank you. Hasta luego. And Ben Jarman, thank you very much. With all, Brigado. Uh, we'll see you very soon. Look out for the stats show. You whites. You whites. You whites.